Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and I want to take a quick second before we get started to welcome you and let you know we are so glad that you chose to make us a part of your faith journey this week. We're in an awesome series called Teleos, a brief guide to something we like to call here at the Foundry as God's intended reality for your life. We explore how you can be complete as God is complete, and we can't wait to share it with you. We want to encourage you, share this podcast if with anybody you know, friends, family, and we would love to see you for one of our in-person services in Central Florida on a Sunday morning. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to our preaching team who is excited to bring you this incredible message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or in the interwebs. Hello to you at home. Uh, we are in week five of our series called Telios, a not-so-brief guide to God's intended reality for your life. Uh, in case you haven't been here, what we've been doing is we're looking at the story of creation, and we're looking at how in that story of creation we see this particular way of living that's kind of lined out for us. We see what's called shalom. We see this wholeness, this completeness that is God's intended reality for our lives. And so we talked about it. You can look at the design behind us based on this name, how what we see in the story of creation is these four essential relationships, the relationship with God, proper relationship with the self, with others, and with creation. We've talked about the God component some. We started last week by talking about you, and so this week we're going to keep talking about you, which is exciting because, again, remember, you are incredible. So God's intended reality, it begins with oneness. It begins with the oneness of all that is. What we call the fall in Genesis chapter 3 is when we see a break in the original oneness. Like we said last week, Adam and Eve went from being naked and feeling no shame to hiding from the one who was one in the garden because of their shame, because of their nakedness. So the fall is really the story about the effects of what happens when there is a rift in the design and the intended functionality of the universe. Now, Last week, we also talked about how after they ate the fruit, they experienced the shame, this divided self, and the divided self that leads to shame. And we used a couple quotes from Brene Brown. I want to go back to one of the quotes in particular. I want to talk about that for a second. And then I want to talk about this idea that is the heart of this series and this teleos thought, and then give you kind of one major thought, and then we'll like keep going beyond there. That's where we're starting though. So here's the, 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 the quote from Brene Brown that I thought was so great. Perfectionism is a self-destructive, addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought, that if I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Let's read that again. Perfectionism is a self-destructive, addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought, which is that I believe if I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. So she says, essentially, we live with this idea that if I can just be perfect, then I can avoid shame. If I can just be perfect, then I can avoid shame. And if I avoid shame, then I can avoid the idea that I'm flawed or that, that there's some sort of imperfections or that I am unworthy of love. 
But the problem with the pursuit of perfection in order to avoid shame is that perfection is kind of an illusion, isn't it? No, nobody's perfect, except like my mom. <laughs> Maybe my wife, I'll throw her in there too. Nobody's perfect except for those two ladies. So if nobody's perfect and yet we're striving after perfection to avoid shame, then it would essentially means that we're all wrestling and struggling to find value within the self. We're all wrestling with this sense of unworthiness. Now, think about this message and this series and what this whole thing is about and what we're basing this on. Matthew chapter 5, 48. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If the goal is perfection and we're basing this on our ability to be perfect, where does this leave us? This leaves us with a whole lot of shame. This leads us with the potential for a whole lot of guilt. This leads us to a place of believing that we are flawed and unworthy of love. And this, to me, is why everything that we're talking about in this series is so very important, right? We've talked about this, that the word perfect, when Jesus says, be perfect, your heavenly Father is perfect, it doesn't mean perfect the way we think of perfection. The word is teleos, which means complete, which means whole, which means full. If I believe the goal is the pursuit of perfection, which is unattainable, then of course guilt and shame and, and hopelessness will become a part of my identity. But if I see that the goal is pursuing completeness, then even when I slip, when I fall, when I screw up, when I eat the apple, that mistake, that sin, does not become my identity but rather an opportunity for growth as I continue in my journey towards completeness. So perfection then is this unattainable goal that eventually leads to shame. Perfection is this unattainable goal that eventually leads to shame. Completeness, on the other hand, is this continual journey that allows us to learn. Is that on the slides? Look at that. I don't think I even sent that. <laughs> completeness, good job, tech team, Karen. Completeness is the continual journey that allows us to learn and grow from our mistakes. There's a big difference in this understanding. One becomes an identity, one becomes a tool for your growth. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. The way we step into this completeness is by aligning ourselves with the one who is one. And by aligning ourselves with the one who is one, not only do we step into the oneness of the self, but it also allows us to step into the oneness and interconnectedness of all other things that have come from the one who is one. We mentioned last week the result of the non-oneness. Do you remember this? What are the results of eating the fruit? What comes after this? Well, we see that there's this disconnect in these four essential areas. We see that Adam and Eve are put outside of the garden, so there's this disconnect between the divine and themselves. We see that they are naked and they feel, uh, uh, they're naked and they're shamed of it, so there's disconnect within the self. We see that they are odds at odds with one another. They are arguing, blaming each other for what has happened. And then the result of uh, creation is that they will no longer be in harmony. There will now be this toil to work the ground. There will be thistles that come up from the ground that Adam has to deal with. Right? It's the divided self, it's the divided self and this disruption of shalom that becomes the engine that drives so much of what we do, whether we realize it or not. This is why we seek the approval and validation of others. This is why we pursue so many things in our life. This is why we pursue sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, like the old cliche type stuff. We're chasing after what we believe will make us whole. 
We're chasing after what we, will, we believe will make us content, complete. The desire to overcome the divided self and, and live in the wholeness of the self is inescapable. It's what we are created for. It's what we are drawn to. It's what we're continually pursuing, whether we realize it or not. It's the deeper truth underneath almost all of our endeavors because it's the design of all that is. It's the calling of God's ultimate reality that in order to fully experience the interconnectedness and oneness of God's ultimate reality, we must first be one within ourselves. The idea for us then is that in the realizing oneness of the self, we now become one and step into oneness with all other things. Or as the creation poem says, they were naked and they felt no shame. They were one with themselves. They were one with God, one with themselves, one with each other, and one with creation. And in that, they experience shalom, wholeness, completeness, God's intended reality. Now, let me give you kind of a couple examples about how the oneness of the self uh, affects, like, your life, okay? I, I said last week that we were gonna do a few more like example, like concrete examples rather than just this language that you're like maybe wrestling with, whatever, okay. So let's say I'm having a bad day. I'm having an off day for, for whatever reason. And I come home and I walk in the door. My wife says, oh my dear goodness, Seth, can you please help me? The kids are driving me crazy, okay? If I am not in a good place, if I am operating out of the divided self and I walk in and I hear that phrase, it doesn't really matter what she says, but let's say it's something like that. If she says that and I'm not in a good place, rather than hearing that as a plea for help, I could very easily hear that as an attack on myself, like, you're not doing enough. You ever had this experience? Oh, what she said was, hey, I just need some help. What I heard was, because I'm not one, I'm not whole within the self, what I heard was, there's something wrong with you, you're not doing enough, therefore you are, uh, your, your existence is like less important for some reason. On the other hand, let's say I come home and I'm at one with the self, I'm like fully where I need to be, I'm centered, all this stuff, and I come home and she says the same thing, hey, I need help with the kids. I can hear that for what it is, I can hear that it's just simply a, a plea for help, and I can step into that, and then by helping her, I can actually build and strengthen that relationship with my wife. So it's the oneness within the self that allows me to maintain that relationship with others, which is a part of God's intended reality. Do you see how this all kind of connects together? Or what about when it comes to the various things we pursue in this life? Why do I feel the need to accomplish more, to do more, to run faster, farther, harder, to, to, to build the bigger business, to expand my little empire, to get more accolades, to get more pats on the back? Well, usually, not always, but usually isn't, aren't those things the pursuit of some sort of validation? that we're looking to have our existence validated. I am somebody. I am important. I matter. Or maybe it has something to do with admiration. I want to be admired. We all want to be admired. We want people to look up to us. We want people to be impressed with us on these various levels. Isn't the pursuit of admiration just another pursuit of validation? I'm important. I matter. Why do we have this need for validation? You know, because we're looking for love, we're looking for a sense of belonging. Our search for love and our search for belonging is this visible, visible expression of the divided self. Because to be one with the self, to be naked and feel no shame, is to be one with the one who is one. And when you are one with the one who is one, 
What you know and understand is that you are already loved and you already belong. So I don't need to depend on my title, my position, my bank account, if my project succeeds, to justify my existence or to pat my ego on the back because I'm already experiencing the fullness of the self in my relationship with God, in being one with the one who is one. Why, why do I care what people think about how I look or how I dress? What? Why do I need to, well, I need to like dress a certain way and, 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 and buy certain clothes and wear certain things and project a certain image so that I, so that what? So that what? Well, so that people will look at me a certain way and have certain thoughts about who you are? Like, so that, so that your being is validated? What? What about this? What, why do I spend so much time caring about like, the shape and condition of my body? Why do I allow the shape and condition of my body to determine how I feel within the self? Well, if I've noticed a few more wrinkles, a few more gray hairs, oh, my pants are getting a little tighter, a little bit more snug. Well, I guess now I'm depressed. I'm gonna have to go on a diet and not be able to enjoy life. And all. Why, do I, why do I allow for those things to determine my being? It would seem to me that this is just another aspect of the divided self winning out. Think about the last time you were angry or hurt or mad or you got in a fight with somebody and you retaliated because you were angry. My guess is that if you took some time to peel back the layers on the thing that really triggered you in that moment, what you would find is that at the heart of it, it had to do with some sort of insecurity. They, 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 they stepped on a nerve in some way of, of one of your insecurities. The divided self was exposed, and it's the ego that lashed out in response. What about if you've ever lost a, a, a friend, like in a relationship? You've had a relationship that's come to an end, and you felt that pain. Or what about um, if you've lost a loved one physically? You know, this past couple of weeks have been been heavy around here. There's several loved ones that have, that have passed on and, and we're mourning our staff, our family, our church families. Uh, it's been a heavy couple weeks. In fact, uh, two weeks ago, I was at a funeral for, uh, it was a friend of mine's parents. Her, uh, her father went into the hospital with COVID and then a couple days later, her mom went into the hospital with COVID and then within a matter of three days, they both passed away. That's a heavy thing. I went to the funeral, and I was sitting there, and I, like, I'm listening to this whole thing, and I'm um, just observing, and, and uh, kind of had this like light bulb moment in the middle of the funeral that to me speaks to like everything we're kind of talking about. Obviously, the, the loss of a loved one is, is so very difficult because it's somebody you love, and they're, they're not here, they're, they're, they're gone. But she started to talk, my friend got up to talk, and she said, she said, you know, my dad taught me so much. She was talking about everything that her parents had passed on to her, and she said, my dad taught me the love of nature. My dad taught me to love music. My dad taught me to love art, and I love him for that. And then she said, but my mom, my mom is entwined in my being. And this is when this light bulb came on about why these funerals are so difficult. Of course you miss the loved one. But it occurred to me that the funeral 
is the snapshot of everything we're talking about when we talk about oneness and the divided self. The funeral signifies the disruption of relationship. Weeks before this, this funeral service, my friend is in relationship with her parents. There is a oneness and a wholeness that she is a part of as she is part of her family. And now, a week later, the oneness of that relationship has been disrupted. And the result is this deep ache, this deep pain within her being. She said, my mother is entwined within my being, and now she is no longer there physically present with her mom. There's a deep pain that comes from that kind of connection and relationship being disrupted, isn't there? So the divided self is the disruption of oneness within your being, like this relationship, like the funeral. And the result is this ache. And this result of the ache drives so much of our behavior. There's been this disruption of wholeness, and so now we are in this constant pursuit of love and belonging and acceptance. The divided self is this powerful force that we have to be aware of, that we, or, or else we'll end up spending an awful lot of our lives pursuing things for the sake of wholeness that will never fully make you whole. When we pursue the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and the validation, and the success, and the admiration, and the image that we're trying to project, and on and on and on, when we pursue these as a way to find love and belonging, as a way to find wholeness, it's a bit like, it's a bit like eating marshmallow fluff. Right? Your body needs a certain amount of calories per day to keep your body functioning and keep the energy up to help it work the way it's supposed to work. There's a lot of really good healthy foods that you can put into your body to help make that happen. Marshmallow fluff is not one of them, in case you were wondering. I know it's good, I know it's sweet, I know you can get a lot of calories from it, but it's not good, it's not going to sustain you, it's not going to last, it's empty calories. And if you eat more and more and more of it, it actually will end up making you sick, won't it? So when we pursue these things that are validation, admiration, whatever, 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 this is like the spiritual marshmallow fluff you're pursuing these things for the sake of pursuing wholeness and oneness, but your wholeness and oneness can only come from the one who is one, from which you have come. So if we are created from the one who is one, and if we're made in the image of the one who is one, and the goal is completeness and wholeness and, and oneness, how do we step into that? How do we step towards that in our daily lives? I said last week this would be a bit more practical. I want to give you just a couple simple ways that we can pursue this and step into this. Um, the first thing is this. Really, this is really simple, but sometimes this has to be pointed out. First is just like regular assessments. Just checking in with the self. How am I doing? Like taking a moment in the morning or in the evening, every day, every week, whatever you need to do, like asking the question, how am I feeling right now? You know, sometimes we, we go throughout our day and we're just doing the thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing, and then we'll go through a whole day or even a whole week and we'll be carrying a whole lot of stuff with us that we fail to realize and then we'll run up against a problem and something will set us up and then we'll snap and then we lose our stuff. We're like, what happened? Where'd that come from? I don't know. Yeah, but you've been carrying all this stuff for a while. And so just to be able to pause and do it like, how am I doing? Is there any place in my life that, that something is off? To ask yourself these questions, is, is there tension somewhere? 
Is there an area that that tension can be resolved? Are, are there any noticeable rifts or barriers or areas of, of separation in my life? Is there a relationship that's off? Is there something that I'm wrestling with, some sort of doubt or fear or anxiety? The reality is that taking the time just to be honest with yourself and ask these simple questions, the self will answer those for you. If you take time to pause and step back and look objectively about what you're dealing with and what you're going through, it may allow you to see, oh, that's why, that's why. I noticed heaviness <laughs> this week. I kind of knew why, but as I was sitting this morning, I was talking with Joe about stuff, and I was like, oh, okay, there's this situation and this situation and this situation and this situation, and they're all kind of connected and overlapping and all kind of sitting like on my plate, and then, oh, that's why there's this general heaviness. That's why I can't seem to shake this like uh, weight. So check in with yourself. It may be quite helpful and quite enlightening for your being. Another thing is this. Find some quiet. Find your breath. We live in a very noisy world. Noise pollution is everywhere. Exposure to excessive noise pollution uh, can lead to all kinds of physical and mental health issues. So take five or 10 minutes in the morning, in the evening, maybe when you're checking in with yourself, take time to be still and to be quiet. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Trust that he is there with you in the middle of it. Be still and know. And know. And know that he is God. Right? Find that time. Allow, uh, allow your mind to be still, to sit with your thoughts, to, to think through stuff. Also, find your breath. Right? People are, are becoming more and more aware of the importance of breath work. In fact, uh, I just read this great book a couple months ago called Breathe, A New Science of a Lost Art by uh, a guy named James Nestor. And the whole thing is about how we, most people are breathing wrong. <laughs> Seems weird, right? Because you're like, what do I need to know about breathing? I do it all day, every day. Got to figure it out, in, out, it just happens. I don't think much about it. He says that like 90% of us are breathing wrong. Yeah, too many of us are breathing through our mouths and that causes damaging effects like in the long term. And what we should be doing is breathing through our nose. He also talks about how we're, most people are breathing too short and too quick and too shallow. So the average breath of like Americans or something is like 12 to 20 breaths a minute. And what, they, what science has discovered and what like ancient practices, spiritual practices have discovered is like the most like balanced breath or the most like breath that's best for you is like five and a half seconds exhale, five and a half seconds inhale. So you're looking at like five to six breaths a minute. So we're all kind of over breathing, which seems like a weird thing, but it has all kinds of crazy effects, right? Maybe the reason <clears throat> many of us are carrying this anxiety or fear or worry constantly is because we're not breathing properly, right? Think about what happens with your kids. When my kids get worked up, when they start to cry, when they get fearful, what do they do? <sighs> and this causes this anxiety, and then what do I do? I say, hey, let's take a deep breath. Breathe in through your nose. Breathe out through your mouth. It calms the body. It has this calming effect, right? So maybe part of the fear and stuff that people may be carrying, the anxiety is, Pay attention to your breath. Maybe you're unintentionally giving yourself panic attacks because you're breathing improperly. It's fascinating stuff. In fact, there's a, um, 
he has a great quote. Uh, he says this. Uh, he, he talks about how breathing is, is so much more than just breathing air into your lungs and how it's this intimate connection to your surroundings. So he says this in the book. <clears throat> to breathe is to absorb ourselves in what surrounds us, to take in little bits of life, understand them, and give pieces of, our, of, our, of ourselves back out. Respiration is, at its core, reciprocation. Reciprocation, I'm hoping, can also lead to restoration. It's this intimate thing. You're breathing in. You're breathing out. One of the big things he talks about is the importance of nose breathing versus mouth breathing, which is, is kind of an interesting thought to me and how much healthier it is. And I was reading this, and, I, and it, something occurred to me as I was reading through the book about the differences in nose and mouth breathing. If you look at the story of creation, how does God create man? Genesis 2-7, what's it say? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I was like, oh, because I've always thought it was the funniest picture growing up in church and reading about how God breathed into the nostrils. I've always thought it was a funny picture, like God formed man, then he put him on the design table, and then if, instead of doing like CPR, like we would picture it, hold the nose, breathe into the mouth, God just puts his, his mouth on Adam's nose, which seems a bit gross. You know what I'm saying? It's like a weird picture. Adam's nose was in God's mouth. I don't understand why that's a thing, but, but maybe there's like something more to it, <laughs> right? One of the things the book talked about was how uh, many of the ancient people held the breath and understood the breath as being very sacred, and, and, and learning how to breathe properly was a part of that, and now science is able to back up the importance of nose breathing, and, and the Bible says God breathed in to Adam through his nostrils, Maybe there's, something, maybe there's something more there. Not only that, but if you've ever heard this, we've talked about this before, about how there's this ancient belief in, in the Jewish tradition that the name of God, Yahweh, is essentially the sound of breathing, that the inhale and the exhale make up this sound, Yahweh, the yod Hey vav Hey, And so anything that lives and breathes is essentially speaking the name of God. So maybe there's something important here about understanding your breath when it comes to calming the self, when it comes to centering, when it comes to that relationship with God, understanding that even the very breath that you breathe is connected to the one who gives you life, right? So find some quiet, find some breath. I mean, this is very similar to things like prayer, meditation that we've talked about already, but we'll leave that there for now. Uh, the other thing is this, taking care of your physical body. Along with the discussion about the proper relationship to the self from the spiritual side, we also have to be mindful of the mind-body connection. It's so very important. You are an integrated being, which means that you cannot separate the spiritual from the physical. Your existence is because of this connection. That's what that passage says. God formed from the ground, from the dirt, from the dust of the earth. He formed man, and then he breathed into him the very breath of life. So you have the material world mingling with the immaterial world, the material world of the earth being infused with this immaterial spirit, the breath of God. So you are completely physical and completely spiritual, and this is your being. So not only do we have to be mindful of the spiritual connection, we also have to be mindful of how we're taking care of our bodies, right? Maintaining an active and healthy lifestyle, having a healthy work, a regular workout schedule can do wonders for the body, uh, for the self, aside from the physical effects of developing a healthier body. And, and this is like... 
whatever body type you have, right? There is not one ideal image. We're all not trying to be supermodels, you know? Like, I don't even know if that's a healthy way to live. Whatever body style and form you have, we're looking for health within your particular body. And, and the, the, the benefits of this is crazy. When you engage in a physical activity, your body releases chemicals for a particular reason. It releases serotonin and dopamine, and <clears throat> dopamine that help to elevate your general feelings of happiness, your, your general feelings of contentment. The result of running, working out, doing yoga, lifting weights, whatever it is you do, riding your bike, walking the dogs, is that your body will feel better, which will lead to you, you to a better feeling of the self, which will lead you to better, feeling better like about the self. It should also be noted, just kind of a side note, we'll talk more about this in, like the, in the next, uh, towards the end in the creation section, but <clears throat> there's a really interesting connection and thought process that has to do with how we take care of the physical body might be connected to how we take care of the physicality of the earth. Right? If, if we are not being uh, taken care of and being respectful to the body that is the earth that is infused with God, this little piece of earth that we've been given the gift to take care of, then what chance does the earth that is not our body have? Right? Uh, well, you see this played out in the church a lot where it's so interesting to me where I've heard so many sermons for so many years about, you know, like, we're always focused on saving the soul, and I get it, and I understand it, because the idea is there's this body is temporary, and the spirit's going to float forever, and, and you hear all kinds of sermons that condemn sins <clears throat> like lying and cheating and murder and sexual morality and lustful thoughts and on and on and on, the things that separate us from God, but I don't ever think I've heard a sermon, on, a condemning sermon about, like, overeating, or I've never heard a condemning sermon about trashing the physical body by what we put into it or by what we put on it. I've never heard a condemning sermon about how we aren't being good stewards of creation, which is interesting because that's actually how the story of the Bible starts. Maybe it's because we've been taught for some reason that God's going to destroy creation and take everyone that believes somewhere else. Right? We'll expand on this in, chapter, in the fourth section of this whole thing in the creation part, but I think it's important for us to understand that our theology has played a large role in our, in our uh, confusion about the self and often contributes to the divided self rather than helping us to understand the proper relationship to the self. So make sure you have some sort of daily routine, some sort of physical thing that you're engaging with the body, that you're able to do something positive for the physical self and be mindful of the things that you're putting into the body and onto the body. That's a part of all of this. In the story of creation, the proper relationship with the self is that they were naked and they felt no shame. They were one with the one who is one. So there was this sense of wholeness in their being. And through being one with the one who is one, it allowed for them to be whole and one in their being. And not only that, it allowed for them to be one with all other things that have come from the one who is one. Do you see how this is all connected? It's all tied together. Maybe you could think of it this way. Maybe it's a bit like the ocean. Maybe it's a bit like the ocean and its waves. Let's say the ocean represents God, the one who is one from which all things have come. All waves have come from this ocean. 
everything that is. Each wave is its own thing, but each wave cannot be separated from the ocean itself. So I am a wave, and you are a wave, and the people at home are waves. We're all doing our wavy thing. We've all come from the same source. We've all been animated and given this breath of life from the same God. So we, as a wave, can only become the fullness of the wave that I've been created to be when I realize and embrace my connection to the ocean, to my source, to my source of life, to my being, to that which is God. And it's through my connection to the ocean that I understand my connection to all other waves. You are made in the image of God who is one. You are made in the relationship of the God who is one. And I have come from the same God who is also one. We are made of the same stuff. We are connected through the one that is our source. You are a wave and I am a wave and God is the ocean. And so by understanding our connection to our source, which is the ocean, it also helps us to understand our connection to one another. We become one with, with who God is. This helps us to create not only a better version of yourself, but also a better world to live in. If I go back to the story of my wife, when I am at one with myself, when I am at one with my being, understanding who God created me to be, understanding that I am his child built in his image, that I have his breath infused within my being. When I understand that, it allows me to step into my relationship with my wife all the more. It's in the wholeness of myself that I can now step into a wholeness of relationship with her. And we're all different ways connected to the same source. It's fascinating to me. It's the oneness of the self that brings you into the fullness of life that you were intended to have. It's the fullness of life that is God's intended reality for your being. And it's God's intended reality that you would be whole and complete. This is what it means to be human. Matthew 5, 48. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. Be complete in your humanity as your heavenly Father is complete in his divinity. This is God's intended reality for you. You know, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life to the fullest. If I am continually living in a place of self-doubt, if I am continually living in a place of shame and guilt, if I am continually living in a place of insecurity, that doesn't seem to me like a very full kind of life. And if I am continually operating out of a place of insecurity, and then that is continually affecting the relationships around me in my life in a negative sort of way, that also doesn't seem like the fullness of life. Jesus says, I've come that you may have the fullness of life. It's almost like we've missed something. It's almost like we're, we're missing what the whole point is. I see so many Christians and I look at their lives and I see how they're living and they're good people trying to do right things, trying to follow Jesus, trying to love God, trying to love people. But so many of them, I look at their lives and, and I just go, why, why do you wanna live that way still? I mean, you said yes to Jesus and yet you're still carrying endless amounts of shame and guilt and what are you doing? I saw a friend post this thing on, on Facebook the other day and the whole thing was wrestling with being, it was like, he said, being a Christian is so chaotic. 
I don't know what to do. I knew it was going to be hard following Christ, but I didn't know it was going to wrap me up in knots the way that it has. And I'm like, what? What a terrible way to continually live and con to operate in your relationship with God. Like, what am I? It's like we've missed this whole thing. Life to the fullest, life to the fullest. Many of what I, I see a lot of people experiencing is not a full life. Many, much of what I see many people as Christians claim to have and claim to be and claim... I don't want to be a part of whatever that is, because that doesn't seem full to me at all. That seems the opposite. That seems like the opposite of fullness. That's the divided self. I don't want a part of that. I want to step in the fullness of Christ. Be complete as your Heavenly Father is complete. I want to step into that. I want to experience that. And really, you know, we're, getting, we're going to go into our time of communion, where we take this bread and we take this juice and it reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This whole meal is about stepping into the fullness. This whole meal is an invitation to actually say yes to the fullness of life that Jesus is offering. If we're taking this meal, which is an invitation to fullness, and yet our primary identity is lacking, if our primary identity is the opposite of fullness, and we're operating out of the divided self, I would say that we haven't yet fully understood this. This is the beauty of grace. This is the beauty of God's love. This is the beauty of understanding that we're pursuing completeness, not perfection. God's grace covers us whether we understand it or not. So we're gonna have our ushers pass this tray, the bread, the juice. This bread and the juice that represent these four kind of key relationships we talked about in, this for, in the first week. That through the bread and the juice, through this meal, through this sacred meal that we get to step up to this table, we are working on this relationship with God. That through Jesus we have been forgiven, that we have been set free, that we have been shown grace, that we can step into the fullness of our relationship with God. That as we partake in this meal, we partake of the bread and the juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, that allow us to come into the fullness of self. That I don't have to buy into the lie that says I am not enough that I can die to the self as Jesus has asked me to do, die to the parts of the self that say I am not loved, die to the parts of the self that say I have to earn his grace, die to the parts of the self that say you have to do more. We get to take this meal, the body and the bread, or the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, and we take this collectively. We participate in this moment, we commune together, and as Paul says in Ephesians, that there is neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ. We come to the table in this moment and we experience oneness in Christ and we have the proper relationship with each other, even if it's just for this moment. And then we take the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, that represents the fruit of the vine and the weed of the field, and we realize, we step into this idea of what creation has provided for us. That God has created this, this beautiful world that we get the privilege of living in, that we get to wake up to each and every morning, and it's a world that provides. It's a world that is generous. It's a world that is benevolent, and we get to participate in that. This whole meal is an invitation to the fullness of life. So we're going to take time here to think, to pray. Maybe you're wrestling with something. You've got some weight Maybe there's some relationship that you're a part of, that there's some sort of division or rift in that. Maybe you need to ask for healing in that. Maybe there's some sense of shame or guilt or doubt or something that you're carrying within your being. If you're buying into the lie of not enough, maybe you ask for forgiveness for that. 
we're going to pray and give you some space to think, to be. Maybe you've got something on your heart. You want to just get it out, write it down, write it down, put it on the wall that stays there. People pray over that each and every week. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, as people are passing, we're gonna, we have my man Hank will be in the back. Patty is here. If it's Kit Moody, are you here? If you've never said yes to Jesus, talk to Kit. She'd love to talk to you about it. What does that look like? Step into the fullness. Let go of all the other garbage stuff that says you are not enough. Step into the wholeness of self that God has designed you to step into. And then by stepping into that, you step into the wholeness with other things, with all things that he's created. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful invitation. Why would you not want to be a part of that? We're going to pray and give you some space. Take this time to remember the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness that God has given us through the gift of his son. Dear Lord, we thank you for today.